0: everybody and welcome to another episode of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel we have Dave Kimura. Hi hey, everyone. John Epperson. Hello. Luke Stutters. Hi We have a new panelist. We have Matt Smith. Hey there. You want to go ahead and introduce yourself real quick and then we'll introduce our guest.
1: Yeah uh, I'm Matt Smith and personally I've been doing Ruby for about 10 years or so. I have a lot of other relationships with other languages javascript is a fun one as well i run a consulting firm called near apogee consulting and i've been so lucky to work with so many fun things over the past uh, 10 years a lot of financial stuff heavy database stuff and geographical data i got started up in seattle they probably won't remember me but i spent a bunch of time at seattle rb with aaron patterson and ryan davis who had a huge Impact on the way I think about things. And 10 years later, that brings us to here.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I love those guys. I'm Charles Maxwood from DevChat.TV, and this week we're talking to Lee Richmond. Lee, do you want to introduce yourself?
2: Uh, Hey, everybody. I'm Lee. I'm really happy to to be here and talk to you guys. I've been a Ruby engineer for about 12 years now. I've been working on a project called Graffiti, which is a GraphQL alternative for Ruby, but primarily for Rails, for about four years now.
0: Nice. Yeah. Keep the graffiti away from the police, I guess. Resolve Digital helps build, optimize, and maintain e-commerce, SaaS, and other products built on Ruby on Rails. They can help build new applications from scratch, rescue projects in bad shape, provide ongoing development and maintenance for existing projects, augment your existing team with experienced Rails developers. They also specialize in Solidus and Spree Commerce solutions. Go check them out at resolve.digital. Do you want to just give us a quick rundown on what graffiti is, and then we can start arguing about GraphQL versus REST? Sure. So uh, a few different ways that you can think about
2: us. The, the way that I'm partial to is imagine if the Ruby on Rails community of around 2012 uh, didn't decide to kind of double down on HTML-first apps. And instead, let's say that uh, DHH and Yuda Katz both agreed, you know what, we want to make API-first development the future of Rails. And in fact, you really even gave that talk in 2012. You called it the the Rails in the next five years and kind of proposed as the path forward. They didn't go down that route, but what if they did? And I think that you would end up with uh, something that gives you all the benefits of GraphQL, like being able to fetch only the data that you want, a schema, requesting uh, specific fields, relationships, a nice little editor for everything. I think that you get all of those things, but you would get them without a lot of the pain points that are currently associated with backend development for GraphQL. I think that you would get a better testing picture. I think that you would get a better development picture. I think that you would get something where you could use React or Vue or Ember on the front end and still have that wonderful experience that we had 10 years ago with creating a, a, a Rails blog so quickly and easily. I think that that developer happiness would be a, uh, a lot more part of the picture than it is now if you try to do a, a React app with GraphQL, let's say. The other way to think about us is that instead of GraphQL, there is a RESTful alternative called JSON API, confusingly named, but it is a JSON API standard that was created by Katz. It was actually introduced in that talk that I mentioned earlier. And it gives you all the, the goodies of GraphQL, right? It gives you the, the requesting specific fields, requesting specific relationships, but it gives you a bunch of other things as well, like uh, the hypermedia links and uh, restful constructs that are not present in GraphQL. So uh, a lot more focus on on rights and even nested rights. And so we are really kind of a blend of those. We are, we are kind of a, a spiritual successor to Yehuda's vision of 2012, kind of wanting Rails to be first and foremost in the API space and making that JSON API standard what we're trying to to
0: hit. That makes sense. And then it'll work nicely with Dave's React apps.
3: <laughs> you know, I like the idea of GraphQL. I mean, it's basically like your SOAP 2.0 or 2.1, however you want to call it. But I just have real issues of how it's implemented within a Rails application specifically. I think you lose a lot of the beauties of Ruby on Rails and the associations and everything when trying to implement GraphQL. Granted, it's gotten a lot better over the past couple of years. I remember looking at it a few years ago and it it just seems like you had to follow a very specific pattern. It wasn't uh, very well thought out. I think they have since changed that a bit. But just having looked at Graffiti for a few moments and just looking at the lightning talk that you did, I mean, this is a game changer as far as having a GraphQL-like uh, API within your application. So I'm excited to dive into it a bit more.
2: Yeah, thanks for saying that. And I, and I, I want to also think about it. When we think of like GraphQL versus REST, I, I sometimes think kind of both of them end up missing the point a little bit. I think what you really uh, emphasize there is kind of the, the standards and, and, and patterns to output these things, right, to, to generate these APIs. And as a Rails developer at my core, I'm really used to conventions and a community following those conventions. And if I looked at the GraphQL community, especially you know over the past few years as those things were developing, we actually had a lot of lessons that were being relearned and a lot of community divergence, right? And a lot more of maybe if you were just developing a Sinatra app, right? To me, those conventions on, on powering the API were what's missing. And the fact that it's it's kind of still going through both its own API changes and, and library changes, but but also that kind of a community figuring it out, developers figuring it out, was was kind of a, a concern for me because I, I really think that if we if we wrapped these things up the same way that Rails wraps a lot of things up we can make building these APIs a, a lot easier. And, and the, other, the last thing I want to say is just that whether we're talking about GraphQL or we're talking about a JSON API or just a traditional REST API, the important thing to me is actually the concept of a resource, which you can still model in GraphQL, right? Uh, you can still model the concept of a post has many comments, right? But it's not a first-class citizen. You can build all the same kind of REST constructs in GraphQL, but it's not kind of first and foremost on everyone's mind. An example here, if you look at the GitHub API, they moved from REST to GraphQL, right? They used to have a slash user, slash one, two, three, slash repositories. You can now no longer get it. Try to go get your repositories in the GraphQL API it is actually pretty hard. You have to go to repositories and now it's kind of a filter param and it's a special filter param. You actually have to give, I think, like two different parameters that are somehow like unioned or something. And the thing was, the graph didn't change. A user still has repositories, right? But the the output did change, right? Just the fact that we changed paradigms, changed the way that we thought about our domain. And it ended up making things uh, uh, harder in that instance. And that's with like kind of the best Developers that we have here, right? That's with a lot of resources and a lot of manpower and a lot of smart people doing it. Uh, imagine, uh, you know, a startup with a team of four people and the problems they're going to have.
4: This is actually the space around which I find the most interesting discussion around Rust and GraphQL. I watched your lightning talk, and it was very exciting for me at the time. And I have yet to have a project where I have need to even make this kind of decision. So I get to just keep, you know, sitting here and having these academic discussions with everyone without actually having to, you know, bet on anything. So this is this is great, but it also means that, like, you know, my opinion, like, is more from the outside looking in. But
2: the thing so that's always good. One of the interesting things when we think about these is like API first, right? Is I actually think it does pertain even to traditional Ruby or Rails development. An example here is, let's say that we have our, you know, post has many comments, but Uh, uh, Originally, the comments are going to come from a database, and then a couple months later, we decided to switch to Elasticsearch. And our controllers end up changing. We have to figure out how we're going to eager load those comments, right? If you're dealing with hypermedia, it's going to be an even messier situation. And I think if you had the concept of a resource, right, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're doing API-first development. It just means that you're abstracting those concerns away. You should be able to say, fetch me the posts in the comments, and it should just work. We should have an interface around that, whether or not you're using Elastic or the database, things like that. So I do want to make a a quick point there that Graffiti is actually something that can be useful to people, even if you're not doing that API-first development with a a single-page app.
3: I completely agree with that sentiment because on Drift Ruby, I had... Elasticsearch built in for doing full-text search on episodes and stuff. And a few years later, I realized that I'm paying for this Elasticsearch service. It's just not getting used. Luckily, I had an abstraction that instead of just calling Elasticsearch from within the controllers and doing the searches in various parts of the application, I had everything extracted out into its own small class where it then from there made the call. All I had to do to fix my application, to remove Elasticsearch, and then just do full-text searching on the database side, was to just update these few little classes. And the feature set just kind of magically worked or cascaded down because I was using the same entry point and the same output, which is just an active record collection. So I definitely agree that if you're having to make any kind of external calls or even internal calls within your own application, having that level of abstraction, it might create more files within your application and it might be a little bit more confusing on onboarding a new developer because they're like, hey, what is this uh, user resource class? What is this doing? Why aren't we just calling user.all or whatever? But in the long term, you're creating a much more maintainable application. You're going to make it more stable. It's going to be more consistent that you know you're going to hit all of the different spots where this would have been touching otherwise all in one place.
2: Yeah, and, and before we get to, to John's question uh, that we got off track from, but it, but what you're talking about is really just the concept of service objects or or just kind of like these other classes that we're introducing. The problem, though, is that you end up writing that a little bit different than the other person does. Or or maybe your thing isn't like a a well-tested, reusable, open-source library that other people can use, right? And so we're we're all kind of developing that service object or just other Ruby class wrapping things concept. Uh, Graffiti is about just taking that and making it formal and building around it. So this
4: actually leads directly into the question that I was actually trying to get at. The thing that excited me about graffiti then, and still, you know, after having read through the entire graffiti, like, I don't know, pitch, I guess, that you guys have on the guides for why you should use graffiti or whatever, is this idea of you're you're specifically taking, okay, so we're Rails developers here, I I believe for the most part, or at least you have used it before, That's, that's why we're doing this podcast, but we at least somewhat buy into this idea that convention is, is getting us value. I certainly don't worship at its altar, but, but I absolutely believe it's super valuable, otherwise I wouldn't continue doing Rails. And you're like, hey look, that's a thing that you have to make, and I'm going down this road of making it. So I think that's super valuable. The thing that like I have discussions about, the thing that interests me, and the thing that I have a question for you for is, why. I guess why is doing this with graffiti on top of REST better, or or why would you say that that's the right path versus somebody saying actually maybe because this is where my perspective comes from, I feel like GraphQL underneath is a much it, it's a much bigger hammer so to speak, right? It's a much much more powerful tool. Like why wouldn't I not create conventions on top of GraphQL and maybe get the same better benefit, whatever?
2: This is going back to something I touched on briefly earlier, but I don't totally disagree with you. Uh, GraphQL is awesome, right? Uh, I love using the, the GraphQL editor. certainly has a, a big community, a lot of momentum around it, and a lot of other advantages, right? My thing is it shouldn't be about either JSON API or GraphQL. In our Why Graffiti document, we actually show we can automatically generate the GraphQL code. Why can we do that? Why can we automatically generate GraphQL code or JSON API code? Because we're not targeting one or the other. It's not really about JSON API or GraphQL. It's about the concept of a resource, right? And that's even what I touched on earlier about uh, not even doing an API first app or a single page app, right? You still have the concept of a resource there. And that abstraction, that abstraction around a resource means I don't really care what the output is or even what the, the request and response is. Maybe I'll just change it by like a MIME type, right? Maybe give me .graphQL and I'll and I'll satisfy that, but give me .json API and I'll satisfy that, right? Now, what I'm talking about is more theoretical. I, the, the graffiti library right now is just targeting JSON API, but there's nothing stopping us from targeting GraphQL except from something, someone doing the work, right? And so I completely respect anyone who says, you know what, I want all of this stuff. I just want it to be targeting uh, GraphQL. And I don't think that we are uh, mutually exclusive to that vantage point. In fact, I think that we're really the library that's trying to go down that path of satisfying these different masters. The other thing that I'll say is maybe five years from now, it's not going to be GraphQL or JSON API, right? It'll be GraphQL two. And our, our thing is, it doesn't matter. We, we should be able to satisfy that as well. We should be able to say all right here are the things that we need we need to be able to select the 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 specific fields we need to be able to say specific relationships we need to uh be able to say well i need to filter sort and paginate right all those things are things that we do commonly and i need to be able to test all these things um i need to have a schema right all of those things are not specific to graphql like of course graphql is giving us those things Um, but they're not specific to GraphQL and they're not specific to JSON API. So let's build a underlying concept rather than targeting one or the other. Now we happen to just target JSON API because I started this project as an Ember developer and Ember made JSON API first class citizen. The other reason is because in kind of the middle of this, I was actually able to connect with Yehuda, Katz personally, and he gave me a lot of guidance and advice uh, on how to to, to better match the, the JSON API spec. But there is definitely nothing stopping us from going down a GraphQL route.
0: I think I'm missing some kind of fundamental thing about what graffiti is and what, what you know what it actually does. I mean sure. I've I've built GraphQL in Rails. I agree with Dave, it's a royal pain. I like some of the ideas behind it, but if you have a convention around REST, it's pretty simple to reason about too. So you know, what where does graffiti fit into this, right? You know, single endpoint and the GraphQL standard versus REST and its multiple endpoints that follow a convention? So I think the best way to think about this is to back away from the API for a second.
2: And let's just talk about Ruby code, right? We just have a .rb file that we're talking about. And we'll keep with posts and comments, but I'm just going to do it in my .rb file. So, and that's important to know, by the way, we don't have a Rails dependency or anything like that. You can do this in a .rb file. So let's say that we have posts and comments and I, and I have a post resource. What that post resource can say is say, all right, fetch me... The posts, but only the posts where active is true and the likes are greater than hundred. And I only need the field title and byline. And also give me the comments, but only give me the top three active comments. And do all of this where on day one, everything's coming from a database. On day two, I can change one line of code and comment a resource. And I can say self.adapter equals Elasticsearch adapter, And everything works exactly the same way. I'm just powering it from Elasticsearch. Now think about all of that, right? We still haven't even had anything with an API. Think about all of that and then think about testing that. We have a post resource and a comment resource. They have their own tests. So everything I just said about selecting the specific fields, making sure the likes greater than, or the sorting or the pagination works, right? All of those are integration tested. Uh, so we're actually hitting the database and asserting that we get back the right results and everything. Uh, and now imagine like everything in our .rb file. Let me think about, I now have everything done. We've made our query. We've got everything. And the result of that, I should be able to call .2json on. And that .2json I should be able to get back, all right, a, a simple nested structure like a default Rails would give you, right? But if I say .2json API, I'm now matching the JSON API standard, right, which has a section for included documents, a section for, for relationships and hypermedia, right? It has its own kind of specification around it. And then say, all right, well, if I can do those two things, which is what Graffiti does support, we, we have a .xml as well. Uh, imagine doing the exact same thing, but say .2 GraphQL. And imagine the input, which is just a Ruby hash, right? Graffiti is just taking query parameters or you know, your, your post input, and we're just turning them into a Ruby hash that that class accepts, right? Do the same thing with GraphQL. Take whatever the incoming thing is, however it's coming in, turn it into a ruby hash and pass it into that class. So, it's really not about the API, right? Because we can always just call to JSON to JSON API to GraphQL whatever, and we can always take whatever the incoming thing is from the API and transform that into a ruby hash or arguments, right? It's about the resource itself and saying that it has an adapter to define all these reusable pieces of behavior. And that has relationships to other resources. So we know how to go from a post to a comment and not have N plus one queries. And that we have a way to easily integration test all of this. Does that help?
0: Yeah, it does. So you, you essentially just provide this class then, or you provide mechanisms for this class to exist. Yeah, yeah. So the way
2: that we kind of pitch it is saying that if uh, Active Record is an abstraction around the database, Refugee resources are an abstraction around the API. And a good way to put this, by the way, we talked a little bit about kind of Rails development with and without an API earlier. One of the things I want to bring up is to, to kind of like maybe bring this full force, accepts nested attributes for. Uh, I think that we've all probably had certain pain points with accepts nested attributes, nested validations and stuff. And I think even DHH <laughs> Maybe a GitHub. little. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think mean, even DHH on GitHub says, like, you know, I don't like this thing either, right? But if you look at like the, the Rails blog post, right? Imagine a blog post that says, "All right, put in your 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 post body, put some tags there, and then also have a drop down for who the author is." You need some sort of accepts nested attributes, right? Because because we're, we're, we're some sort of form builder, or some service object, or whatever, to set, accept all these things. Because we have three relationships here: we have the author, we have the post, and we have the tags. And this falls apart at some point, right? We've tried this as a community every different way. We say, well, we'll do the, the form stuff and we'll have libraries for that. We'll do the acceptance and the attributes we'll have libraries for that. We'll, 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 we'll continue figuring this out team to team. And, and that kind of goes against Rails, right? We should have an easy way to do our blog posts. And this is a common thing. And especially if you think about it as a single page app, we have these entities, right? We have these REST entities. We have an author, we have the posts, we have the tags. If I can send one thing and just say, like, well, the premise of REST is saying, take that state and just send it to the server, why can't I take those three entities and just send them all to the server at the same time, right? And uh, that's what we're ultimately talking about, uh, is an abstraction to handle those types of circumstances. And that helps even... Uh, non-API developers, right? Because Graffiti is going to handle all that for you. When you send all that down to the server, you're not going to have accept, nested attributes. We don't touch it at all. It's not a feature that you will ever use if you're using Graffiti because that's part of our libraries. Our kind of formalized service objects are going to handle all of that for you because we know it's a common use case. And, and, and now that you're doing all that, imagine another one maybe is uh, active record callbacks, right? I think we all know maybe at this point, let's not send an email after create or something. But we certainly went through that as a community. Uh, you know, after create, let's send an email. We're after create, let's do some other kind of side effect right, that's not specific to this model. And then you run your tests, and you're like, ah, crap, I don't want all this stuff in my test. And now every time I, I, I run my unit test, I have to mock all these things. Right? Imagine instead if that was the behavior of an abstraction around your API. That was the responsibility of the abstraction around your API to send that email right? And it had the callbacks. Well, now you run your model test and you don't have that problem, right? It's only a problem when you're running integration tests for your API. So hopefully, hopefully that has uh, kind of touched on, you, you know, the, 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 the concept here and why we're trying to, to do it. It's, it's not specific to GraphQL or JSON API, but certainly a lot of those concerns pop up uh,
1: when you're doing an API or a uh, single page app development. Personally, I love it. Like, I love the concept of it. I I see that, you know, for me, as like we've all mentioned, convention is a big win. Whether you have a team of developers and you need to move one developer from one project to another project, they know the conventions and the way things are built. That's, That's fantastic. And then getting a bunch of stuff right out of the box is fantastic as well. Pagination, selectable, attributes to get back. And that, I think, answers a lot of the GraphQL stuff. As far as whether GraphQL is valid or not, I think the community is going to decide that. So I really like your approach there as well. My question is, when looking at and evaluating this in terms of bringing it into a project, what would you say, because I haven't done it yet, I, I saw this a number of years ago, and I can't remember why we didn't go further with it, but what's the time to get up to speed with all everything you need to know in order to feel comfortable taking this on? And then once you're at that up-to-speed mark, what would you say the time to integrate in a new project would be?
2: I, I think a lot of it comes down to how much existing Rails experience you have. Again, we, do, we don't have a dependency on Rails, but I think that's probably the best way to, to look at it. There are a lot of concepts in Graffiti that will be very familiar to you as a Rails developer. And so if you are already a senior Rails developer, I think that you will pick up Graffiti very quickly and it will uh, resonate with you. A lot of the, the moving pieces here will, will seem familiar. If you are someone who's coming from a different language or you're coming uh, more as a junior Rails developer and you're just going to add Graffiti there, you're going to get up and running very quickly. You're going to have stuff, stuff working very quickly and uh, a lot more out of the box than you will uh, with, with really anything else but then I think you're, you're going to start having some problems where you're going to start having to wrap your mind around some of the, some of the concepts. And so that's actually been one of our struggles is that graffiti, when, when we get new users, half the time we're teaching Rails concepts to those users you know, because they work very, very kind of hand-in-hand hand with, with graffiti. So to your, to your second question on adding it to an existing project, again it depends on the on the project i think overall very very quickly if you have something where you're coming from json api resources or any other kind of like api first paradigm i think that it'll it'll be a, a pretty quick and easy transition i actually started this on the active model serializers team and a lot of the very, very first ideas uh, kind of came out uh, of from there so if you're someone who's just doing a traditional rails API with active model serializers I, I think it'll be very quick for you to transition to graffiti uh, The last thing I should probably say here by the way, one of the things that I think makes it easier to pick up with graffiti is our integration testing which i which i've talked I've, I've touched on earlier, but I, I think it's worth kind of diving into for a second here. All of those things when we say uh I need to sort, filter, paginate, fetch the relationships. Those are all tested within Graffiti, right? When you're just talking about uh, it's a post table and you have a title field and you want to, you know, say the title contains the string, right? We'll give you that by default. You don't have to test that yourself. Uh, But then you get into things like, well, I only want to fetch posts that have active comments, right? So we need to do a join. And Graffiti doesn't do the joins for you. So you write your own filters there. Uh, We have kind of a DSL for how you write that logic. You'll still use normal active record, but just kind of give you a hook on, on where you want to do the join. And that's where you, you would test it. And when you write your test, it, it's, it's reasonably simple. You say, here are the query parameters coming in. You give that as a Ruby cache. And then you say, all right, just pass that to my resource and, and, and look at what I get back. You're going to either look at the database records that we would get back, or you can look at the actual JSON output that we get back. And we have helpers to help you parse that JSON output. But, but all this stuff hits the database and works end-to-end, right? So one of the things that I really think helps developers pick up Graffiti is you actually don't even need to spin up the API. You don't need to write a seeds file and open up your application and run Rails server and, and, and go through all these steps. It's actually easier to just write a, write a spec. And in fact, that's how I do my development with Graffiti. I write an integration test. I commit, I push to master, and I deploy. I don't even run the application uh, unless it's, it's something that, uh, you know, particularly sensitive or, or particularly wonky. And because now we that's the easiest way to develop, and then we have this integration test ensuring everything still works, I think that helps developers start to get their hands dirty with playing around with different scenarios, getting into the code, fiddling with things, because they know that they can kind of run the test and just see how things change or, or, or break or
1: don't break. Yeah, it frees you up to focus on the domain model of what you're actually doing and building rather than everything it, else.
2: Exactly. If I, if I had like a, like a one tagline thing for Graffiti, it would not be about GraphQL or JSON API. It would be about focusing on your domain model. It would be about removing all of these other concerns so that we're not worrying about them and we can focus on our domain.
1: Yeah, we do development very similarly concerning APIs. You know, run tests and play around with it. And, you know, as long as they're passing, then there's very little need to actually launch everything. And the other thing I'll add is that we're building those service types of objects. And so for me, it really comes down to whether or not it's more work to integrate something like graffiti and then the longevity of the project because we've all dealt with upgrades and then, oh, okay, rail 7 comes around and oh, graffiti stops.
2: Yeah, um,
1: yeah isn't around anymore and having the confidence to go into that rather than build a little minimal wrapper, like Dave was talking about.
2: Yeah. And I, and I think the big thing there is, A that we don't really have a rails dependency. So we have graffiti and then graffiti rails. Um, I love that part, by the way. (laughs) Oh, great. Good to hear. And, and, and the great thing about that is, we 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 do like rails a lot because it has those conventions and and and, and kind of common thinking that you know we want to adopt but we're not really relying on rails features here even if you even if you look at something like let's say there was a major change to active record we have an active record adapter and the active record adapter i mean i think i think sometimes we, we say the word adapter and and we think of like the rails postgres adapter or whatever and it's just the, just a huge file with all this stuff that we don't know going on the graffiti active record adapter is something like i don't know like 150 or 200 lines of code and it just says all right like when you want to sort you're going to call dot order right when, when you when you paginate you know depending on whether you want kemnary or will paginate like do you want to call dot per dot paginate when you want to filter you do you, you want to call dot where right or something else it's just not that difficult and so even if they totally change, let's say they wanted to do the SQL ORM instead of active record in the next version of Rails, you write another 150 line adapter and you're moving on. So I, I don't think that we really have much of a dependency or, or much, many things that would really prevent us uh, from, from doing pretty easy upgrades uh, for Rails or really our spec would be the other big
1: dependency. That was my other question, because all the examples use RSpec, and, but then I saw a line in there that says RSpec is fully supported and is a first-class citizen or something like that, but not required. So does that mean you're totally on board with Minitest and I can test
2: this? Yeah, you, you, you can make it work. It's just going to be a, a little bit harder for you. We have some RSpec-specific helpers that we can like mix things in RSpec and stuff like that. And that comes with a graffiti spec helpers library. And there is one file rspec.rb that we, that we mix into your rspec tests to just give you some sugar to, to kind of wire everything up. You could write the same sugar file for a mini test. It, it, it's just really easy to use sugar, not anything that we're, we're critically relying on. All, all this stuff, remember, the actual test that runs is just define a, a Ruby hash, pass it into an object, you say, you know, dot all or, you know, dot save. And then you say, look at the output, right? So we can do that in many tests or our spec or, or whatever else.
1: Love it.
0: Early in my career, I figured out which jobs were worth working at and which ones weren't, mostly by trial and error. I created a system that I used to find jobs and later contracts as a freelancer. If you're looking for a job or trying to figure out where you should go next, then check out my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. The book walks you through figuring out what you want, vetting companies that meet your criteria, meeting that company's employees, and getting them to recommend you for a job. Don't settle for whoever has listed their job on the job board. Go out and proactively find the job you'll love. Buy the book at devchat.tv slash That's devchat.tv slash
5: I'm interested in WebSockets, doing a lot of WebSockets work at the moment. You mentioned using WebSockets with graffiti, but it's a bit short on the details, can you give us a quick overview of how you use Graffiti WebSockets and maybe somewhere where we can go to learn more about it?
2: The, the first thing I want to emphasize is that there's nothing about Graffiti that is WebSocket oriented, right? We, do, we don't have some kind of like WebSocket helper that's that's going to help you deal with them or anything. But really, the the point that I was making in that WebSocket bit in our, our Why Graffiti post is... When we're thinking about GraphQL requests or or any kind of API request, let's even look at the homepage of GraphQL or the the beginning kind of documents there, you know, fetching Star Wars characters. And it says, all right, give me all the characters where the name is Luke Skywalker. And then the output of that is an array of JSON objects that have the key of name and the value of Luke Skywalker. And the problem is that's not good enough. It's actually almost too easy to do that. What you're outputting now is JSON. You're not outputting a resource concept. And so what what you end up doing is saying, all right, let's say I got my Luke Skywalker. And let's say that I I put him on the page in a single page app and I want to use a WebSocket to update that data. I want to say his name is now Han Solo, right? I don't know how to do that, right? All I have is this plain old JavaScript object with a key of name Right? How do I know it's this object and not that object, right? That I need to update. Maybe I have two different characters on there. One's Leia and one's Luke. Which which one do I update? Is now Han Solo. Right. The thing that you need to be able to do this is an ID and a type. You need to, to know an, an, a unique identifier. And then because you know, hosts could have an ID of one and comic could I have an ID of one, right? We need a we need a type as well. If you had that, then now you can uniquely identify these objects in JavaScript memory. So now you can say, all right, it's uh, for the sake of argument. Let's uh, say it's an active record callback or a graffiti callback, and you say, all right, every time I make an update to this record, uh, take its JSON representation, which you can gr- do with graffiti. You can grab a model, say like output it as JSON, right, and say shove it over a, a website, and then my single page app can say, all right, I have a type and ID, so uniquely locate this thing in JavaScript memory and update it. So now I have this thing where I really didn't even take me much work, right? All this stuff can be just put into a library where you say it's an after save call, pump something over to a WebSocket, and then anything that's listening to it, just say, all right, look throughout all of our JavaScript memory and update that object. It, that's a way that you don't even really have to write any WebSocket code or really any, you know, very fancy back end or front end code but you can have a UI that is dynamically updating based on your, your, your data changing. And so the point that I was making there was that's one of the great things that the JSON API specification does. One of the reasons that you might not want to just render uh flat JSON or do what those intro GraphQL posts do. And in fact, if you look at the library relay for GraphQL, it doesn't work with vanilla GraphQL. It says it, it adds those constraints saying, hey, we actually do need an ID and a type to do this type of stuff, to do the stuff that we need for Relay. And so we're doing exactly what Relay does, enforcing that ID and the type. And one reason that we might want to do that is, is for that web-stopping fanciness. Does
5: that make sense? It makes perfect sense. The, I, I really like the logo on the graffiti. This is, this is fantastic. It's hard to describe <laughs> on a podcast. How would you describe the graffiti logo? It is a, a cartoon bear with a hot
2: pink background
5: spraying a can of graffiti. And, and the client is called Vandal, so it's a really strong aesthetic.
2: Yeah, our, our equivalent of graphical is called Vandal, so our, our kind of UI editor.
5: Yeah, well, what's the story behind that? Who, who came up with that logo? Uh,
2: it was actually just a 99designs logo. Uh, my, my, kind of, my kind of criteria here was, well, actually, it kind of came about because I was talking to a good friend of mine. And, and this is like a, a good friend. And he knew I was working on this project, but he wasn't really doing uh, kind of API development at the time. And so I, I kind of told him about it, whatever. And then six months or a year later, I, I mentioned something to him. And he goes, oh, yeah, like, what was, what was the name of that project again? And I was like, oh, man, graffiti. I thought it was like, pretty good name, but he, he, he didn't remember it. And it's like a good friend of mine. And so that was one of those things that kind of like clicked in my head where, uh, you know, people need that visual representation to, to make a kind of connection to something. And, and so to me, the one of the the criteria here was to try and seem friendly and, and approachable and, and also fun, because that's kind of the spirit of how I started with Rails. Uh, it was kind of fun and approachable, and I wanted to just continue that theme. And also took some inspiration from the, the Ember logo, which I, which I really like their mascot.
5: Yeah, I, I love the logo. I think it's fantastic. The another slight point I just want to touch on is, is the end points. The endpoints, so is it correct? I'm I'm getting slightly confused, but I think we're moving from the kind of single endpoint to multiple endpoints, correct? Yeah, so GraphQL would be a single endpoint. uh, Graffiti would be multiple. And because you've got the multiple endpoints, you can then cache the endpoints. Yes, yep. And there's a a few articles that are linked off the graffiti site that talk Mm. about using varnish and use cases and that kind of Mm. thing. Does that make a big difference?
2: Uh, it depends on your application, I think. Uh, overall, I would say not necessarily that I want to say, well, this is some critically defining feature and why you should go with us, right? As much as no one knows when they're going to need a specific feature. No one knows when they're going to need caching all of a sudden or introduce certain use case. So so my my kind of starting point here was Rather than starting with a single endpoint and not being able to get all the traditional things that we would get with HTTP caching, something like a, a reverse proxy or, or normal HTTP caching, we can get everything that GraphQL does over normal endpoints. So let's not throw away this feature. Let's keep it and, and, and build on it so, so that when we do need it, and, and maybe we will six months or a year from now or, or whenever, It'll be there for us. And and also that developers who have kind of gone gotten used to this paradigm over a number of years don't have to kind of now figure out how they're gonna do caching in, in, in GraphQL and GraphQL and what that paradigm is gonna be. I think that
4: one's actually a little bit of an interesting thing because as much as I enjoy it as a feature now that I understand it, it's actually it actually seems to be a massive hurdle for, for example, people that I mentor and things like that, right? That aren't there yet. Right. So yeah for the people that haven't sort of figured out, oh, I can just explore an API, and once I sort of understand this pattern, I, I, I basically understand all the rest of it. Like, it's a massive hurdle for them. It's why I feel like people are like, oh, do you have experience with APIs? Like, when they're, you know, creating job descriptions and things, because they want to make sure that, like, you're one of the people that's passed that hurdle already. Yeah, and-, and I think that's an interesting. You,
2: and, and you know, I actually had the same impression, but just from a, a really different angle. When I started Graffiti originally, I didn't start out to be a GraphQL competitor. I actually started just trying to build a JSON API for an Ember app, and I was using JSON API Resources, uh, which is a popular JSON API library that was around before Graffiti. And I had those same hurdles. Uh, To use that library, you don't have controllers anymore. Uh, You don't have routes and so it was just kind of odd to me as, as someone who had been a, a Rails developer for, for nine or 10 years at that point to kind of say, all right, like right, we're going to do things totally differently now. That That is something that always uh, rubs me a little bit the wrong way. Not that we shouldn't be open to change when we need to, but one of the premises of graffiti is that we didn't need to. We could actually keep all of the traditional Rails concepts that people have, have, have been kind of learning and building on for, for many years and, and just build all on top of those instead of getting rid of them entirely. Is this, is this a
4: sort of reference to the Derek Pryor talk that you mentioned or whatever?
2: There is a reference to a, a talk that uh, Derek Pryor gave a RailsConf on REST. And a lot of it does touch on that in that as a community, and I'll say the, the Rails community here, I think that we've kind of gone through this learning REST concept slowly over a number of years, where initially it was, well, we're just kind of modeling exactly the database, rights, and, and then slowly, well, no, a resource isn't really the same as a model, right? And an ID isn't necessarily the same thing as a primary key. And, and then we go through where, well, you can do so many things with Rails routing, but what does it mean to have a route called slash ship? Right. Uh, why do we need to do that versus versus normal rest? Right. And so part of his talk was you can do all of these things with normal, traditional rails, routes and resources as long as you're thoughtful about it. And then as long as you're kind of someone who is who has gone through some of those lessons. And, and so his talk was really kind of giving those lessons to that audience, because I think at that time it was it was almost like a cycle where uh, we, we as a community had gotten to that point and then we started losing these lessons. And I think you see similar things now with, with, with GraphQL in, in that we're trying to figure out a lot of these lessons over and over again. So a good example from that talk was that like slash ship endpoint, right? And his thing is like, well, you don't, you don't really need this, right? You don't, you don't need a special method called, called ship, right? Maybe you need a shipment resource, right? Or maybe you need a, a, a checkout resource or something like that rather than kind of this one-off method called ship. And you actually see that in GraphQL a lot nowadays, right? The, the, the GitHub API has things like unlock, right? Why are we not sending an account to the server in a restful way with the lock property changing from true to false? Why is there now this one-off thing called unlock? And so to me, that, that kind of learning premise that GraphQL is going through is the same thing that we've been doing for many years as a Rails community, trying to say, no, it's about REST, it's about these conventions, it's about thinking about your domain this way, right? Uh, a lot of those things uh, uh, got, got kind of thrown by the, by the wayside. So I think that his talk was really, it was really about REST and, and, and RESTful conventions, but I think they apply to the, to the overall premise of GraphQL as well.
4: Yeah, you you can't see me because I don't have video, but I'm like over here nodding. That's more or less the lesson that I got out of that talk too. So that we should be thinking of everything. And, and I think you do say this in graffiti. And anyway, so I'm like saying this sort of as validating an and agreement, right? Like that basically we should be thinking of everything as resources. That works really well for REST. It It appears to be a method, at least right now, that the community, that the GraphQL community is exploring to solve their itches. And it is the solution that the graffiti is taking, which is one of the reasons why this is super appealing to me. So,
2: And I think that that is something that's going to happen, right? I, I, one way or another, I mean, there are projects that have a resource or a resource-like concept. One of the projects I really like is called Prisma. It's in Node. So it's a good thing I'm mentioning on the Ruby Rogues podcast, but uh, it, it's kind of similar in premise to Graffiti as far as like the stuff that you get out of the box, maybe a high level kind of premise and architecture. I've actually had some meetings with that team and they think very similarly. And it just kind of goes to show you that that none of these things are specific to GraphQL or, or JSON API or, or or REST, but it's kind of this, this idea of an abstraction of around resources, really the... The, the core concepts that we need to, to build on. And I, and I think that's kind of my, to the extent that I have a gripe with GraphQL, that's kind of where I come from, right? Is that we moved away from that, that concept for at least many years, right? In order to, to discover GraphQL, we kind of said, well, rest is dead, long live GraphQL. And then we just lost all those lessons. And now we're slowly starting to relearn those lessons. And I think the frustrating thing for me is, you know, as someone who, again, part of a, a Rails community that at one point felt like we were all kind of in this together and, and kind of building towards a common goal, I felt like we, we kind of just got rid of a, a lot of that underpinning and, and are just uh, spinning our wheels a little bit.
4: I saw a lot of the same sentiment. I'm a slower mover, so I don't tend to, to just be like, oh, sweet, I found something on the internet today. I'm going to do it. Like, but yeah, I see some of those same things. I was just thinking as you were talking that 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 maybe maybe part of the underpinning thing i don't I don't even know, I just like legit just thought about this. I wonder if like we we talk about model view controller all the time, right? So we are taught right out of the gate, oh, everything is based around a model, and I wonder if like we need to revisit that, and it should be like resource view controller or something like that
2: well. I think you're a thousand know. percent right. And you know what it actually makes me think of? I, I didn't know this until kind of like a year ago, right? But there is a Rails generate resource command, right? But unlike Rails generate controller, Rails generate model, right? It doesn't generate a resource class. It, it generates all the other things. It generates the route and the controller and the model and the tests and things. But, there, but even though you're saying generate resource, it's generating all these other bits of things, and so the premise of Graffiti is saying what that ultimately means is that the logic is spread out a little bit, especially developers as we're all learning things, right? We're all going through junior, senior, different companies, things like that. Sometimes the logic's going a little bit in the controller. Sometimes it's in the service object a little bit. Sometimes it's in the model a little bit. Sometimes it's in some other Ruby class that we just created on our team, right? And really, Rails generate resource, generate a resource class That is abstracting all of those commonalities rather than spreading the logic all over the place.
4: I don't know if I misheard you, but that definitely sounds scary. Like I'm just going to have God classes here, but... but. Well,
2: yeah, the the big thing is that the resource is actually a pretty thin wrapper here. So you're still going to have a controller, right? You're still going to have a route. uh, And they're still going to have their own responsibilities. So the controller is still going to be in charge of like HTTP specification.
4: Sure, but Um, there's a thing here that it does cover that's common between them.
2: Yeah. And, and a lot of that commonality ends up being the, this, it, rather than a guide class, which has a lot of lines of code to, to kind of handle all these responsibilities. I think the big thing with graffiti is that we look at these things as common operations. And so they hook up to an adapter. Um, and that's where rather than creating this, uh, you know, over time, this class gets huge The class doesn't get huge because the common operations exist in an adapter instead of spreading throughout that class. So those common operations, when I say, like, we need to filter, sort, paginate, all of that stuff is already in the adapter. Uh, When we think of callbacks, we have uh, a a DSL, kind of like an active record DSL to handle those things, those kind of lifecycle things. So resources, actually, in my experience, and, and even talking to my users, don't end up as as large classes and in fact a lot of what graffiti will tell you to do because the same remember you know the a resource is not one-to-one with a model it actually starts encouraging you to say well uh, here's my user resource but here's my admin user resource and they're both hooked up to the user model but they each have a little bit separate responsibilities right the admin resource is just going to have certain admin functionality certain authorization rules things like that so uh, I I think the because the concept of a resource is not one to one with either a model or a route, it ends up being that you you never end up with like one single resource with all these huge responsibilities. If if anything, you end up breaking into just smaller resources uh, for for different circumstances.
4: It's it's definitely an it's still an abstract concept for me because I have not obviously used graffiti just yet, but. It sounds like basically like, mm, I guess this is this is kind of along the lines when I first opened the box for service objects, I was like, this is a super powerful tool, and obviously, as we have seen over the years, you can totally do stupid stuff with it, but but it's super useful. It's what it feels like at least upon opening
2: well let me let me try it this way, actually. I think a lot of people think of the resource immediately, and they start thinking about well. It's the thing doing the database joins, and it's the thing doing the uh, the, the, the actual callback and, and, and things like that. And really, what a resource is is its a wiring. It is the wiring between the model and the API. And usually, we would say that can be a controller, maybe in a in a in a restful manner, and that kind of works, right? If I'm going to just have only a post, right? And I'll send that post to the server and there's some kind of uh, special side effect when that happens. We'll use the controller to say, okay, I, I, I call this other method on the model or this other method on, on something else, right? But if you have a graph API, so a GraphQL uh, style API or, or a graffiti JSON API thing where things can be nested, we're not just hitting slash post, right? You could be hitting slash user and then also be sending posts to the server as part of that call. And so the logic can no longer go in the controller because it's no longer one-to-one, but we still need some sort of abstraction around there, some sort of thing that does that type of thing that the controller would be doing, handling those those callbacks or or telling the model what to do. And so that is now a resource. It is the wiring code between other things. It is not the thing doing all the work, and so that's why I think it doesn't really become a god class it's, it's just an abstraction for the wiring between those various other bits of your application.
4: I think that's fair. I think it maybe doesn't fit how I was using the word resource. So,
2: yeah, that's fair. Uh, yeah, th- definitely the terminology does get uh, pretty, pretty confusing here. I think everyone has a slightly different definitions of, of, a, lot of these, a lot of these kind of concepts. And, and in fact, that's one reason that I, I tend to get passionate about the resource concept is a lot of people now, or just the REST concept. When we think GraphQL, people now say like, "Well, GraphQL is better than REST because REST, you you have to do data over fetching, right? You have to send all the fields, and you have to make multiple requests, and all these things. And that's what a REST API is. And it's not really what REST is, right? REST is really more about this kind of resource concept. And so I think that's that's one of the the struggles that I have as well is is trying to Reach different people at different levels of understanding, all of which can, can be valid, trying to, to unite some of that that understanding rather than, than kind of just saying, well, you know, rest is the
1: thing with multiple endpoints or something like that. I have one other tactical kind of question when considering pulling a dependency on like this. The the kind of scary part is getting into a place where, you know, say you're moving from another project that did something weird that's, you know, slightly non-restful or has a customized route or like the ship example. Can you think, without having done this, I can't give you an exact specification for the question, but... If you get into those types of situations, is there a way to eject or is it able to absorb all of those requirements so that you can continue to integrate or do you get into a catch-22? Uh,
2: absolutely. So uh, again, this is where just kind of the general concept of a, a resource not matching specific to a, a controller or a model comes in handy, right? Uh, when we have that super custom action, a, a good example here is maybe like checkout, right? Where We have to have, it's an order and it's order items and we have to uh, create some sort of shipping information, do a charge, right? We have all these various things going on. And so a lot of people, maybe it's just a slash checkout endpoint that's specific to all of these things. Even when you get into that hyper-specific scenario, create a checkout resource. It's not one-to-one to a model. You still have full control over everything that happens. And so you could do the same kind of thing in graffiti using a resource, create a checkout resource and, and tell it how you want to handle all those, those operations. So we're not coupled to uh, active record or a model or any specific operation that happens. There, there are kind of defaults that we set saying like, by default, I expect that you're going to do dot save on a model, but you can, you can hook into it and customize all those things. And when I say that you could hook it in and customize, I'm actually not talking about a, a huge surface area. I'm talking about you know five methods that are, are critical that you, you kind of implement yourself to say, here's what I want to happen in these various circumstances. So even in the worst case scenario, I think that you could create a custom FUBAR resource and, and, and still be on your way. But even if you didn't believe me, I think one of the interesting things is because we still have routes and controllers in a traditional Rails app, all right, do whatever you would do in a normal Rails application then. Don't use graffiti for that endpoint. And, and that's something that uh, you could easily do because uh, uh, graffiti isn't taking over your application and, and, and kind of forcing you into a certain paradigm. We're just giving you uh, this kind of additional class and a little bit of wiring you can still do all the things that you would normally do if you need that escape hatch.
1: So you could almost convert each endpoint over one at a time, uh, to obviously doing the necessary versioning things to make sure that people know what they're going to expect on, the, on their way back. But Yeah, you
2: absolutely, you absolutely could do that. And in fact, I, I, I have users who are absolutely doing that. I do think that one of the uh, cons of that approach um, is you're not thinking about your domain holistically now. Uh, you're you're not building that kind of holistic. Here are all the associations of this object now that I'm fetching, but but you can do that incrementally if you want to,
1: or if you just ran into a specific problem that you had to deal with is more so. But yeah, one hundred percent agree okay. yeah. and
2: and And by the way, we have people running graffiti uh, side by side with active model serializers, right? Uh, there's there's just nothing stopping you
4: going down that line just a little bit further and and kind of kicking back to our discussion a minute ago, too. Would you say that? One I'm not saying that all of what graffiti does, but would you, based on what you were just talking about, would you say that one of the things that graffiti like sort of allegorically like maybe replaces would be all of those form objects that we've been making in service objects at this point?
2: yeah, absolutely. In fact, I would say like if there's one like common pet peeve throughout my entire career, it is nested forms. I don't know why nested forms are still so hard, but they are they are for me at least and and again, that kind of premise of, I just have a post, I have tags, I have an author, I should be able to send all of these things to the server in the same call because I need all of them to be within the same transaction. That's so restful, right? We're just sending multiple objects to the server instead of a single object. Uh, We're sending a graph down to the server instead of a single entity in that graph. But everything else should remain the same, including things like uh, validation errors on the response. So as part of our, our tutorial, our sample application we have a nested form doing uh, exactly this. It's actually creating an employee, assigning N number of positions to that employee, and then choosing from a dropdown a department for that position. And that is a nested form with validation errors. You can get red highlights on the specific thing that went wrong. That is, is uh, part of our demo tutorial application and was one of the main scenarios I was trying to handle when I, when I very first built Graffiti.
4: Sweet. I, I think I heard all of those things, and I didn't quite make that connection.
3: Awesome. Okay, awesome. Yeah. So, just throwing it out there: nested forms with Stimulus JS is beautiful.
2: Oh, awesome! Yeah, I actually haven't had the the pleasure. And, and by the way, I also want to say I'm pro traditional Rails development. Right. Uh, I think that traditional Rails development is still a a fun, happy path. I I, I actually started this project with the use case of I had to be an API endpoint for unknown customers. I was actually doing a kind of an internal Heroku style application. So so teams throughout my company, all were going to hit my API for information about their servers and what packages were installed and and what Chef release they were going to roll out and things like that. I also had to be an endpoint for uh, a number of different systems that were hitting my API with data. Uh, so they were doing a bunch of machine learning and then sending that to my API. And then I also had to be a backend for an Ember application. And so for me, the traditional Rails style is great if that's what you're doing, right? If you're building something where having an API is not a factor for you, I believe that you can have a productive, fun experience with rails still. I just think that the idea of an API is becoming more and more important, and not just because of single-page apps. My use cases really didn't have anything to do with single-page apps. They had to deal with, I, I didn't have the capacity on my team to kind of build this thing multiple times, to build an API and then build my Rails app, and, and then coordinating the logic between them. So, so I, I, I'm totally on board with the, the concept of stimulus, uh, the concept of traditional Rails, I don't think that Graffiti is mutually exclusive uh, for some of the reasons I laid out earlier. And, and so I definitely don't think that we are kind of in opposition to that. And I want to kind of be clear there.
3: Yeah. And one thing I like about Graffiti is that it leaves it open to the development team to make the decisions that they want. If they wanted to create an ingress controller, that would then do the routing of whatever... Uh, resources that they wanted, they could essentially create a single endpoint for the API and then just pass in a parameter that they want this resource. And then you have a GraphQL-esque like endpoint that's using JSON instead of the GraphQL syntax.
2: Sure. And I think that would be a really cool way to go, especially if you think about I, I know all of us are super awesome developers here, but you think about a controller with, uh, you know, just a bunch of instance variables assigned to it, and then we have different patterns to abstract around, and we put a presenter on top of that, or or, or we'll do service objects uh, or other things, right? That type of of issue that you get into with Rails development can be at least partially solved by graffiti, like some of those things like moving callbacks out of your models and into these resource objects, All of those things can still be utilized uh, or or the thing with eager loading from Elasticsearch, things like that. All of those things can still be utilized in a traditional Rails application and then you just get to reuse all of that logic for
0: your API. Yeah,
3: it's really cool.
0: Yep. All right. Well, we're kind of getting to that point where we need to start looking at picks. Uh, Before we do that, Lee, if people want to connect with you or have other questions, how how do they do that?
2: My email is richmolj at gmail.com. My Twitter is twitter.com slash R-I-C-H-M-O-L-J. But those are probably the best way to, to reach me. Uh, if you go to graffiti.dev, graffiti with a P-H, uh, you'll see a bunch of contact information there as well. And we have a, a pretty active Slack channel if anyone just has uh, random questions and wants to talk to other people about their experiences.
0: Awesome. Are you trying to figure out how to stay current with Ruby on Rails? Maybe you were sad that you missed out on some of the interactions you could have gotten at RailsConf but you're still not sure you want to travel because of COVID-19, well, I'm putting on a Rails remote Conf. We're doing it in August, and it's going to feature a lot of your favorite people from the Ruby Rogues panel and other friends and neighbors across the community. So if you want to join in the fun, come watch some of the RailsConf video talks with us during a live watch party online, and then come see all of the live talks the next three days. Then come check us out at railsremoteconf.com. That's railsremoteconf.com. All right, well, let's do some picks. Dave, do you want to start us off with picks?
3: Yeah, sure. So the first one is a free application called Lens. If you do anything in Kubernetes, Lens is a pretty cool app that'll basically give you a dashboard and health overview of your Kubernetes instance. So check that out if Kubernetes is your poison. And then another one is Backblaze. So I use Backblaze to back up my NAS. It's about 5 terabytes every month, and it ends up costing me just under 25 bucks, which is pretty cheap. And it's a AWS S3 competitor, but they just announced a S3 compatible API for their B2 storage. So it's like a third of the cost of AWS and all the other competitors. So it's kind of on tier with their Glacier storage. But you get a lot cheaper and a S3 compatible API. So it's kind of cool.
0: Nice. John, what are your picks? I'm trying to follow
4: the Luke rule of having only one pick, but my pick for this week is Parslet. So I've recently been working on a project where I need I basically am creating like this kind of custom rules engine and people are obvi- are are inputting the stuff in text uh, sometimes and so basically I need to be able to parse a bunch of text and you know also parse t- some context variables that are getting set by like a survey or things like this anyway it's it's enough crazy that my previous solution of just kind of going through and then evaling was starting to you know just get stretched to its limits, and I was like, "All right, I need to do something else and I tried this out. There are a few different parsers out there, including some more I don't know, some heavier duty ones. I was super happy with this one though. I found it pretty easy to read my, I guess my grammar is what I created that it does all this once I was done, had a pretty nice DSL. And in the end, this is the one that I picked to do it. I was pretty pleased. So I picked Parslet is what
5: I used. Awesome. Luke, what are your picks? Firstly, I like to disavow the one pick only rule that was I was, much, <laughs> I was much younger when i came up with that i was a different kind of developer two weeks younger now now i believe in the plurality of picks in fact having only one pick quite honestly is just lazy so i'm going to i've only got one pick this week and my pick is ruby 2.7.1 because i just deployed it for the first time to a production server so you know the the stable ubuntu's out the 20.04 ubuntu's out so bumping all the servers up and I thought I'm going to bump up Ruby as well from two point something, whatever it was. And it worked first time, no problems. What a wonderful, what a wonderful release. Ruby 271, just uh, compile it, installed it, Ruby build it. Fantastic. Awesome. Matt, do you have some picks for us?
1: I do. I will go for two picks. One for us, developer types on password management. I've been using pass for a while, which is a command line and uses Git under the hood and PGP all like tried and proven things. And if you haven't ever tried it, it's I love it. They do have front ends for it too, but you know why. And then um, my second one for fun, I've been researching doing a bunch of hikes this summer and I've really finally dug into using Google Earth and importing and exporting data out of that. And it's been a lot of fun being able to go out and find some hidden places to go off and hike to. So those are my picks.
0: Awesome. I'm going to throw out a couple of picks. So I've been working on the remote conferences. I have the page up now for React Native Remote Conference. That's JavaScript, mobile development. I think John knows a bit about that. But yeah, so I'm putting on a conference for React Native developers. I actually borrowed the dates from Chain React Conf, which was going to be in Portland at the end of July. So if you're looking at doing mobile development, I've really gotten into it lately, and I'm really liking React Native. So I'm going to pick that. And then we're going to do a Rails Remote Conf. I was going to do it in June, but I decided to do it in August instead. So keep an eye out for that. And probably looking at doing a DevOps or DevSecOps or both. In September. So, yeah, that's stuff that I've got going on. One other pick. So, my wife, I was pretty burned out earlier this week. My wife said, you are leaving and you are coming back in a couple days. She actually used my Hilton Honors points. So, the hotel was free. Checked me into a hotel across town. So, yeah, Monday, I got on a couple of calls that I couldn't get around. And then I basically spent the rest of the day listening to Percy Jackson and the Olympians. They're they're decent books, not the best books I've ever read, but kind of the right balance of interesting and mind numbing to to get me through some burnout. So I I enjoyed those, and then played a ton of Breath of the Wild on my Switch. So I'm gonna pick those. They're good candy books. I I like. That's kind of what I call things that are like they're just fun to read through. They didn't
4: change my mind on life or something.
0: (laughs) Yeah. The the. I've kind of unfavorably compared them to like Harry Potter, but Harry Potter, she includes a lot of literary structures and traditional ideas that my brain digs into those. And I needed something a little less solid in that way. So, no judgment anyway. for me. Yeah. Lee, what are your picks? My pick
2: is graffiti, man. Uh, but uh-huh. no, I think, I think actually talking so much about. GraphQL and, and also Ruby, I think my pick would be what I mentioned earlier was Prisma, where that's a, an example of a library. If you want to uh, take some of the things I said and maybe you were interested in, but you wanted to follow them up in a different way, their uh, project in Node, uh, they just released Prisma 2, uh, which is really interesting. And I think they're doing a lot of uh, great work there. So if you're interested in this space, I would recommend that.
0: Awesome. All right. Well, thank you for coming. This was really interesting. Thanks, guys. Yeah. All right. We'll wrap up there. Until next time, Max out. Talk to you later. Later, guys. Have a good one. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit dot com to learn more.